You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, welcome to episode 110, 110B of Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. Mm. It's good to be with y'all. Today we have a legend of a guest, Scotty Darling, who just spent a weekend in Newfoundland. We had a good time. I assumed he'd been here before in the American Hockey League, but there's so many teams in that league nowadays, not like when I joined. You're not guaranteed to play everywhere. I think my first year in the A, there was 16 teams. Now I pretty much think every NHL team's represented, so 30-odd, I give or take on each end there. But anyway. So uh, before we get into it, I got one thing to say. Last week, I ta- I spoke a little bit about Newfoundland. I knew that was going to be shaky ground. Most of you that I heard feedback from found it interesting. Some of you made some corrections. I, I-, I shouldn't say corrections. Most of what I said is vaguely, no, it has truth to it. But a lot was opinion-based. E- everything I said is true. I mean, a lot was opinion-based. So, you know, I mentioned some music being, you know, Alan Doyle. And Great Big C, meaning that they kind of, you know, in the in the 70s, I guess, 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, Newfoundland had some great representatives in, in a lot of categories, but weren't really on a national level. And timing, I mentioned, like the Beatles, even though I love them, they came in when color TVs and satellites are going around and picking up feeds from all over the world and radio becomes bigger and bigger and you know, big buildings, stadiums are being built that they can play in. Although they were very innovative, the most innovative timing, right? They, they were using the resources given to them in the 1960s, which weren't available even 10 years before that, much alone hundreds of years before that. So without getting into how good would Beethoven and Mozart and Bach and all these Pacquiao Bell and how good they would have been. Um, I won't go that direction. I was merely pointing out that Newfoundland had many 
um, different areas, be it sports, be it arts community, uh, and within that music, film, uh, be it job creation, be it tourism, uh, you know, writing. I, I can go down the list, but a lot of we, we've had a general exposure in the last 20, 30 years. Right when I was coming into adulthood, I guess in the early 90s, I was 13, turning 14 and 1990. From that period onwards, I feel like, you know, we've we've just like timing plus talent uh, plus opportunity. You know, uh, bands like Great Big C, actors like Alan Hawko with Republic of Doyle. And I look at that as breakthrough. And I said, Carl English with basketball. And I said, um, myself and John Slaney and, you know, Danny Cleary and Harold Truken, you know, in, in my era, those were guys that went and we all had to go like first round kind of thing in order for other people to get opportunities. And people started to say in the hockey case, you know, if these guys are all the only ones we're scouting and they're going in the first round. They must have second, third liners, people that might be late bloomers, hence Ryan Klo and uh, Teddy Purcell shortly after that. And uh, and on down the line to the point now we have Clark Bishop who plays in the NHL as we speak. Well, Alex Newhook, Dawson Mercer, but Clark, uh, those guys were blue chip right from day one. Clark's a good two-way player, and I'm not sure that every good two-way player from Newfoundland was seen in the 80s and early 90s. In any case, I didn't mention a, a, so many things, right? Because I was only using some examples and you might disagree and say, well, you know, uh, in my mind, it's the Irish descendants brought it into prominence, not the great big C. Or you might say a show like, oh, it's another Newfoundland show from around that time. Well, let's say this hour is 22 minutes, which most of the cast since they've started, I don't know, 30 years ago has been from Newfoundland. There's the odd exception. And that you would be right. I was basically giving my opinion and, and you know, I, I saw these things happen and Republic of Doyle, I remember there being a big deal because, uh, you know, as far as employees, employ, crew members employed and, you know, on a national stage on many levels, when it came on TV, the channel, it came on, uh, you know, the, magnitude of the actors russell crowe ended up being a guest star as well as many many on down the list so i was just saying you know i was giving examples there's there's lots in in, in, in many sports i didn't mention brad guju and, and team newfoundland who i'm probably most proud of and that's that's tough to say we really support our own here but brad's got uh you know got the bronze this year in the olympics and they won it in 2006 he's got multiple briars or some iteration of the brad guju rink of course, but I also think curling, the Toby McDonald rink, was it? Um, God, he coached. Anyway, in 1977, we'd won it. I don't think we ever felt, we've never had a lot of people that I know of in town say, let's go watch curling. But we've always had good curlers and we've always been represented well. We won the Briar and for a small province, man, we won it in the late 70s. And now we've won a bunch recently and uh, Brad's won a gold. So yeah. In the Olympics. So, you know, I mean, on a fucking bronze this year, but I could go down the list. It's just at, at some point, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but the point I was making was that Newfoundland is gaining notoriety and respect 
because I believe we're being exposed to more and more people in the world. So, you know, before anybody rips me on Mark O'Brien, who's, 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 who's my friend, who's in L.A. now, who I didn't mention, and uh, Jason Hayward, the boxer, the uh, featherweight who won the Canadian championship, you know, all these things happened. I'm just saying Newfoundland is in a much better place, and it seems that there's more opportunity for all of these, whatever endeavor you, you choose when you're a kid, the future looks brighter because we have more exposure, more opportunity, and more respect. Coming up, Scotty Derling. Be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my next guest tended pipe for the Capital District Selects in 2006-2007 before being drafted in the sixth round of the 2007 National Hockey League entry draft by the Phoenix Coyotes en route to a two-year stint with the University of Maine Black Bears. From there, he'd play five years pro in the SPHL, the ECHL, the CHL, and AHL before finally breaking through to the NHL with his hometown Blackhawks in 2014-15 and posting a .936 save percentage in just 14 games that same season. As a result, as a rookie, he'd hoist the Stanley Cup in front of teammates, friends, and family and overcome serious obstacles, creating one of the biggest comeback stories in recent years in not only hockey, but all of sports. He'd play five years in the National Hockey League and retire in 2021 with a fantastic 54-42-18 and 18 record in the big show. Today, amongst other things, he does stand-up comedy, works for Barstool Sports, and can be seen alongside yours truly at the Chicklets Cup, July 21st to 23rd in Buffalo, New York. He is a great goalie, a trendy tender, a proud player, a wizardly winner, a charming champ. His career path was weird, and he has a cool beard. He's got big blue eyes, and he won hockey's top prize. Under pressure, he'd thrive and stand six foot five. He likes talking. He likes taking trains and played for the Canes. He likes to jive, and he's six foot five. If you're a bird watcher, you've like, likely seen a sterling. And please welcome my guest. It's Scotty, the animal darling. Scotty, how are you? That was the best intro I've ever heard. Except ever I just realized towards the end, I, I rhymed six foot five twice. But outside of that, throw me a bone. You know what I mean? Oh, no, you fucking nailed it. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I break one of those. Well, I should have by knowing you that you're going to do it that way. But that was awesome. Um, so I break. I break that out sometimes like a version uh, when I do some stand up. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm, we're going to start here because I'm fascinated you did stand up and we can't we don't talk enough about that. So a few, a few years ago, this was about 2015 or 16. There's a com comedian in Canada. I'm not sure you would know him. His name is Jerry D. Anyway, without getting into a long story, he gave me an opportunity to open up for him a few different dates. And he, a couple of them, actually four or five of them, were in major junior arenas, including my hometown here, Mile One. Like we had that. I think we had 4,000 tickets sold. Did one in Oshawa for 4,500. So this was an odd experience. And the only reason I did it, he asked me and I'd always kind of been curious and I, I, I didn't really even want to. I was just, I mean, I did, but the, the fear far outweighed the desire. Okay. But anyway, I yeah. said, this is Jerry D and I went up and did it. And when I did it, I, there was so many That's things. Really? I, 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 yeah. I wouldn't know where to begin, but like, I, I felt 
Like I'm scared of heights. Yes. Like you're right. Like I went, like when I go on a roller coaster and I'm scared of heights, even more so I was, and as it's going on, there are moments that I feel like it says close to an out of body experience. Like I'm walking around the stage, I'm talking and I'm like, is this fucking really happening? Like how the fuck did I get here? Right. It's like, it's like being like, I've never gone skydiving, but it's like, it's like you just fucking jump out of the plane. Yes. Yes. Now I got up and I would say, I wouldn't know. I, I would throw myself a bone because I get up and go, look, I had an opportunity. I kind of give him the backstory and I'd say, and I remember Jerry saying, you got to be humble when you get up there. It's going to be hard. To, so I got up and I said, look, I'm going through a divorce. I got a fucking folklore degree and I'm the biggest sports disappointment in the history of Newfoundland and Labrador. And then people start. <laughs> and then I just tell a hockey story, right? If we're in Toronto, I'll go, Hey, anybody want to hear the Ty Domi story? Hey, you know, they're amusing more than anything. I don't know that anybody's coming out of my, my, uh, my, my comedy show writing notes about, you know, how to make people laugh, but it's generally amusing. And there's a few laughs along the way. It's storytelling more than anything. Now, what is yeah. your rhyme and reason? How did you get into it? And what's your format when you get up? So my thing is like, and once again, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You know, you know, I love you. Um, had a great time fucking St. John's uh, last weekend. Um, but you did fuck me over. <laughs> That fucking gummy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that afterwards. Um, So my whole life, like I love stand up. Like I I love the idea of it. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm anti PC culture. Like I like freedom of speech in the right way. Like comedy's comedy. If you're funny, you're funny. Like you can, yeah, it's, it's jokes. Jokes are jokes. Like, and so like my, the way I do comedy is all life experience. Like you have so much experience. Like you wrote a book, like you fucking, you have 10 times more than me, but my jokes are about like my personal life. Like I joke about my dad drowning. Uh, I joke about my mom having cancer. I joke about getting divorced. Um, and like all this stuff, like making light of, you know, my real life. Like I'm, I'm new. I've only done it for a few months. I've only done, I probably got like 150 mics under my belt. Um, but I'm not there where I have the time to do like the hypothetical stuff yet. Um, so right now it's still just like, you know, talking about like my personal trauma and, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. I I enjoy it. It's funny, man, that you say that. I didn't think you were going to, and I, it was, I I did a few like, yeah, I did. I shared a lot of stages with comedians that had done it a long time. It was a very rewarding experience it was it was unique i shouldn't have been in that world i so many people you know really guided me along and um and it, what it turned into me for more than anything is public speaking i do the same act it's just people will hire me out to do like a i don't know a, a hockey banquet or something or a golf tournament right and dale howard chuck yeah, but that. From Newfoundland, like you guys just don't give a fuck like yeah yeah you guys just you know well that's what I'm happens very, a lot kind of button up, you know? Well, you're, you're right, though. That's what happens a lot because I get so nervous or at the start I would. And then when I get up, I just find sometimes just, you know, it's good. Having Newfoundland roots helps in that once you get up there, people generally dig your vibe. It, uh, you know, unless you've unless you're really coming from a different place. But if you just get up there on a regular day and I speak like this, people generally give you, you know, if they're not there to heckle, so they'll give you a chance. But I find it really therapeutic. Now, again, you said I, I look at your 
life has the most in, one of the most interesting. And I, we've only known each other as friends for half a year, but you know, I've known of you and I've followed your all the stories that you're talking. It's, it's crazy to overcome that. Just to even play hockey and get through pro is is something to be overcome. So, let alone all those obstacles on and off the ice. But I found it really therapeutic, like really from the beginning. I mean, a book is tales of a first round nothing. I mean, I'm the highest draft pick ever from Newfoundland. I was a kid. I failed in front of millions of people. And for the Habs, nonetheless, you know how many people would see me in the barring? You fucking bum. You know how many people would write letters? And as the years went by, it just put myself in. A, and then people would keep asking me from to write the book. And I think they wanted like how the Canadians fucked me over. Look, I didn't go back to camp. I didn't think they gave me a perfect shot. But I mean, who does, man? I, and then I hurt my ankle and I couldn't get back. I, I, I had all the confidence. If it didn't happen, I know I would have. Cl- but I'm left with it. And I had to wear that. And what I found, those those negative stories that they wanted me to tell turned into tales of a first round nothing. So I was like, but I played all over the minors. I loved living in Hershey. I, I loved experiencing it. I loved Tri-City. My, I graduated in the United States, you know. And then when I would talk about it, and then especially on stage, when you hear people laugh, it's almost like therapeutic. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Yeah, it's like you're not alone, you know. Yes. It's like- when they laugh, when they laugh about your like trials and errors, like it's like, oh, you can relate, like yes. you know. So like for me, when I get that first, like I have a big punchline in my act, like opening punchline. Once I get that first big laugh, I get the room, and then it's like we're on, we're all here together, we're all friends. Like let's talk about our fucking like trauma. And people who love comedy and even comedians, it's like generally like you can you know check the facts, but like generally they're like you know depressed or yeah been through shit and like it's like a, a way of therapy for them and like that's how, for me that's how it is too and so i love doing it like i feel i joke that i feel like shit after i get off stage but i actually feel so good once i get off stage wow you know that is amazing and i look i i could go so far into it because i also i I, I got up the first couple of times and I did it hammered. I mean, I, 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 people do. I mean, I used to deal. I'm not saying I was never an alcoholic or I, I, maybe I don't want to, I don't want to, I, I don't want to disrespect that term or the people that go through things, but sometimes say I'd kill time. I don't know, by going to the bar, it wasn't like always like I'm sitting there and drinking out of being negative. And then I was like, I can't do this without drinking. Then when I, when I found out I could, and I could get up and spend that time, it was another outlet and it gave me almost, um, Again, this, it, it, I found it better than even the people say, go to see a therapist. I used to go to see a, like a, a guy in Montreal, Wayne Hollywell, great guy, sports psychologist. But we, you, we, we got buddies and then an audience to me, when I hear them laugh, it, it, it to me is like a bunch of people relating, not just one therapist. It's a bunch of people relating. And so I just drifted away from one. And I love speaking in front of at events and things. And one last thing I'll add, I know I'm talking a lot for your interview, but I love this identifying I did find that a lot of the comedians, dude, as soon as they would get off stage, they would be like nervous. And oh, did I do and chewing their nails? Did, did I do OK? And I'm going, yeah, man, holy fuck. You're so and so you did awesome. And when you're up there, you seem like the most confident person. I don't want to go up after you. But you did. Do you have the same experience when you meet a lot so of them? The, the, the thing that like you and I have is we were successful. Like we have our like the hook yeah. to hang our hat on. And so a lot of these people like, and they're all, they're great. They're funny. Like I love them, but I find this community very funny. Like 
the people who are just doing open mics, like they're so like, I mean, they work at Starbucks, like not disrespecting people who work at Starbucks, but it's just like, this is like a passion project for them. But like for someone like myself or you, it's like, we do it for fun. This is not how we're like funding our life. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, and yeah, interesting. So we have a little bit of a less like weight on our shoulders doing it. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I really enjoy it. Like I said, I, and I'm, I'm lucky, as you mentioned previously, like I'm retired. I, I don't got too much stuff on my plate. So I, I did three shows last night. I did three. Wow, and, Scotty. I'm so proud of you. I didn't know you I have the time to do it. Most, most people, you know, they work at bank of America and they're like, maybe get to the 11 o'clock show. It's like, no, like I have time I can. And so that's why within two months I've done probably 150 shows and I'm starting to get booked on like paid shows. Like I got a big one on Saturday. I'm pumped for, um, um, so is that show in Chicago? You're living in Chicago now, right? Yeah. So I, uh, I was raised here. Uh, I was lucky enough. I, you know, grew up in Chicago. I've been a Blackhawks fan my whole life. I was just I was so fortunate. The first NHL team I played for was the Blackhawks. Um, still a Hawks fan. They got a lot of work to do, but, uh, yeah, when I walk out my front door, I can see the UC from, uh, no, from my house. It's just too much. Okay. So, and when you got into stand up, that's also not easy in a place like Chicago. When I mean the stand up part, it's, it's easy to be a Stanley Cup hero when you live in your hometown. And then we'll get into that. But to to do the stand up would be a di- you know it's different. When I did it here, it was different than everywhere else. Do you do you center your act around being? like from Chicago or would it matter? Would it be a different experience, say, if you did it in Boston? So I've done a few out of state shows, but my like opener is I like, you know, tell my story like quickly about, you know, I played in the NHL, I played, you know, one of Stanley Cup, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Hooray for me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but my jokes that I tell are not about hockey predominantly. Um, more about just like my life, but there's a little bit of hockey entwined. That's why I preface it with like acknowledging that I played for the Blackhawks and like whatever. Yeah. yeah I mean, in, in Chicago. So yeah, I call it the cheat code because in Chicago it's a cheat code. Cause I say that I won a Stanley cup in 2015 and that's why comedians hate me because I'm getting booked or I've only been doing it for two months. And I'm proud. My 14th paid show is on Saturday. And most people have been hacking it out for 10 years. Never got booked before. But I, I, I acknowledge that it's a cheat code. Hey, I, uh, I agree. So I went up. So people weren't happy that. Now, me and Jerry were writing a TV show. So it was worth his while to have someone open for him that was going to work. You know, so I was means to an end we're friends but that's why but comedians got upset because that was a gig right and then i would sell books my book largely became a bestseller i'm not saying because of that but that was a big part playing these stadiums i'm selling books afterwards some people are buying five and ten books right do i want them personalized so he did me a favor and um but anyway some of my stories like there's one about my last shift which was actually against chicago 
and I nearly fought Bob Pro, but I ended up fighting Cam Russell. It's a long, long story. I won't Thank tell God it. God, you didn't. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I know. It was like the and Mark Jansen's was the other guy. Like it was like oh, Jesus, Cam Jesus. Russell was the was a tough guy, like six four two twenty five, and he was the I won't say easiest, the less difficult of the three, the the the, <laughs> less, the the least evil of the three evils. But anyway, then the story goes on. But in it, there's chirps. Right. So I distinctly remember Probert, who, again, was friends with Corson and a few more. So it was he was chirping me, but I don't really think I mean, he would have fought me. But again, there was a little bit of tongue in cheek. What's that? Of course, he would have fought you. Yeah, he, he, he <laughs> I'm not saying like he, he wasn't doing it, but he wasn't doing it to fight. Yeah, of yeah. course, he would have fought me to kill me. But what I'm, <laughs> he was joking with me as if I was his friend. I wasn't. But, you know, course and all them hung out with him. And I think they told some stories. And so he was saying it as much to be funny as anything. But he would say, I remember him saying, hey, Ryan, um, my rum and coke gets more ice than you. Now, that's a, I don't even think about <laughs> Probert, probably regurgitated. And then so not only does and I found it funny, but now and Cam Russell, when I went out, he, I'll never forget that. As long as I live, I looked at him and I thought he was going to say something like uh, bone. What what really intimidating and like cutting, and he just said, "Hey Ryan, does your coach know you're out here?" And everybody heard it because it was it was right before the ref dropped the puck. And I remember that distinctly. But again, those are old lines. But I get to say them on stage as part of my story. It happened, so yeah. I'm like robbing. I'm I'm thieving from the the robber. And so anyway, it often some of them would get upset and they would look for little cracks in my and I'm like, look, I, I just like you said, I got into this for different reasons and I kind of like it. And, you know, but but more than one person got upset and indirectly, no one ever approached me face to face. But I heard from the other comedians. Um, so but, you so like I, I had the same experience um, when I got like started in it. Um, one of my opening lines, like. I was like, yeah, I'm rich, retired, and bored. And I would say it that way. And be like, so now here I am. I'm like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I was doing a show, and the host called me the day before. It was like, yeah, I've heard a lot of backlash from the comedians about you saying the word rich. Yeah, wow. And I'm like, well, it's true. Yeah. it's part. But, you, I mean, I'm not trying it. to offend people. I'm just like talking about like my actual like life, you know? And so it's, it's a unique community to like navigate through. So like I took that out of it. I would just say I'm retired and bored. And so I say, <laughs> I say I'm retired and bored. And I've been missing this feeling, you know, the, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment of letting in a goal in front of 20,000 people every night. And I'm like, what could fill the void? I'm going to do stand up comedy. And it is working out perfectly because I feel like shit every time I get off stage. <laughs> oh, deadly. Do you, yeah. do you ever go up and, and just riff? Uh, like, that's why, Scotty, a lot of a lot now, there's a, a great comedian in Ontario, Tyler McDonald. Tyler Morrison, Jesus. And Tyler um, has me up and he has, a, he has a podcast of hockey. It's called Fight Stories. It, it, I think it's secondary comedic comedy is his big thing, but he has this podcast. So he'll go up and do an act and then we might do a podcast before, but he'll do an act. And then I just go up for a Q and a, because I find sometimes I'm better if I'm just like, if I know the story, it's great. I think you guys will like the story. 
but you can get into a rhythm that's obvious. But if I start going Q&A, and I, but I'm just not good enough of a comedian. Sometimes it gets there and I'm like, man, I wish I could do this all the time. Like, some, like Jerry D I mentioned, he can go up and not touch his material. Have you ever gone with someone like that? Or do, and do you ever get there? I, I feel I I'm that. almost in the water when I take off the life jacket. and uh, I do that. I actually, I actually love it. I've done it a few times where like, I don't even do my set. I just like. Oh, you're on one of those. So much respect. Over. Or like I, I done a show, it's called Off the Cuff in Chicago here, where you like pull a um, like a, a piece of paper out of the bucket and there's a, like someone wrote something on there, like you could get Hogwarts, you could get anal sex, like whatever you pull the piece of paper out and you have to riff on like what you pulled out of the bucket. And so uh, not to fluff my own pillows, but uh, no, yeah, no. Pretty good. I'm pretty good at uh, uh the sharp-witted stuff. See so. that the okay. So pulling the names out of the hat, I would put too much pressure. I wouldn't be good at that. But the Q and A, because pe- when people ask me anything, I find whatever's whatever trade is in senior yeah, you that way. Be good at that. I did that uh, last week. I, I I went up and I just said I'm not doing my routine. I was like, I want people to ask me questions. Now Anybody, that yeah. raise your raise your hand, ask me anything you want, and I did like an eight minute set with just people ask me questions. Um, you'd be good at that. That that one I would like. Yeah, that, that part I would like. I I don't know that just pulling out and talking about how, but yeah, because questions, anything, you know what I mean. I ramble and I go and I. It, it, there's usually a story within a story. So if someone asks me, who's the toughest right. guy you so ever? So the thought? thing that you'd have to worry about specifically is the time, because oh. like you're a talker, <laughs> so, and like I am too. So like you have to worry about the time that you have. That's the hard part. So you Scotty. have to change this long story into like a 20 second story. Scotty, like Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. I'm at a Jays game a few years ago doing yuck yucks. I call up on the way. I'm like, I'm here. I'll do a few shows. Yuck yucks, Richmond, right across from fucking Rogers Center, Air Canada <laughs> yeah. Center. I had all my buddies meet me. I'm on Twitter. I'm just getting into a rhythm. And I get up there, and that's what I do. All of a sudden, I'm Mr. Cool. I'm on stage. I'm chewing a fucking toothpick. Right. I'm so cocky about this. And the red light comes on and I'd never fucking seen it. And I'm going, what? And then all of a sudden they're like, and get off. I'm like, I can't get off stage. And I, it's I the finish. most embarrassing thing ever when you run the light. Oh, man. Oh, I didn't man. even know I what ran it was. It, I ran it once at the Laugh Factory, which is like a huge venue in Chicago. And the first time I did it, I ran the light because like my act, I kind of like looked down timidly. And the lights like way up on the like left side, so you can't see it. If you have a forwards hat on and you're looking down, you can't see it. <laughs> and they played the music on me. I almost, I almost quit comedy. It was like the fucking fourth show I ever done. I almost they, quit comedy. They played the music. Yeah, I. That was the worst it, walk. It was just like getting scored on by the Leafs nine nine to one. Uh, Almost quit hockey. <laughs> yeah, it, get back on that pony. I don't know what it's like to be a goalie and be left in. Like, I I can see being pulled. How that would be? Okay, it's just a night. You know, it's four or five goals. But like, does that? I, I don't even pay attention. I know Patrick Waugh, which directly changed my career. Those guys drafted me in the first round, and when Patrick Waugh went fucking crazy, they all got fired, and people with a new agenda came in. But that. That's funny. I've used that in my stand-up as well. But anyway, he got lit up for nine. I don't know why Mario Tremblay left him in. I can't. But has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. No, I. I why would a coach I, leave my, somebody my, in? My coaches know that they knew I, I never wanted to get pulled. 
Okay, so you didn't want to get pulled. I I was only pulled one time in my entire career in the NHL. Fuck off. Are you serious? One time. Um, My God, Vasilevsky just got pulled. Holy fuck, you got pulled one time. That is a Vasilevsky is the best goalie who's ever played, ever. Dude, he's like soft. Oh, I know. I love watching him play. Um, But no, my coaches knew that I, I didn't want to get pulled. Like, I'll eat it. If I'm playing bad, I'll fucking grind it out. Like, that's it. Um, but that Maple Leafs game was the, the bad one. So it was like four to four to one with like five minutes left. And then they fucking tanked five in me in the last five minutes or whatever. And so it ended up like nine to one. And wow. that was the worst beat down I ever had. And I, I love that you just said that. So like I, as a player, even though I'm not Wayne Gretzky's style growing up, like people ask me my favorite, and I often say like Marilyn Mew to be different or, or Mark Messi. And these players I love, Chris Nyland, Steve Eisenman, it's hard to be better than that. And I remember liking them all, but when I go back and I see like my Gretzky Titan and everything, I'm like, man, like he was fucking amazing. Like every day I used to watch. So I wasn't quite his type of player. There were similarities, I guess. Yeah, you weren't Wayne Gretzky. Well, like I liked his passing. Yeah. So like I'd go behind the net as a kid and try to emulate it. I wasn't doing what he was doing, but. I, I, anybody could go and play in that position. I ended up being a corner guy, but you know, like as a player, I could see the beauty in his game. Yeah. So when you look at Vasilevsky, you just said that because there's been a lot of great goalies. I think my favorite would be Dominic Hasek. But when you see him and you're a big goalie, do you look and go, fuck man, like, wow. Dude, I, I like, I worship goaltending. I'm still a goalie dork. Like I said, I was lucky enough. I played goalie for 25 years, played pro for 11 there was nobody comparable to Vasilevsky. Wow. Like it was Carey Price. And like he's amazing. Don't remember, he's light years better than I was. But Vasilevsky is like the McDavid of goaltending. Like when I watch him, I almost have to take my pants off. Like, like yeah. just like he is fucking perfection of goaltending. That's great. And like I'm pumped I'm, I'm for Darcy Kemper because like I love his game too. But Andre Vasilevsky is the best goalie that's ever set foot on the ice in the history of the world, hands down. Wow. So, yeah. And, and as long as we're going to talk about goaltending. So, yourself, like, first of all, Newport News, what is that? I thought it was a, a, a like a weekly it's a military periodical. Base. It's a military base. I grew up military. So, the, the Newport News, do you know where the name comes from? It used to be an old newspaper. I have no idea. I was a fucking baby in a diaper. Like, I don't so know. then you moved. So it, months, and how then, long before you were in Chicago? I didn't move to Chicago until second grade. I moved from Newport News to Washington State. Where in then, Washington State? Uh, Tacoma, like just outside of Seattle. Yeah. And then I know exactly. Alabama. And then. My parents found out that I was good at hockey in second grade, and they, my dad left the military, and I, we moved back to where they're from in Palatine, which is in Chicago. And what's the Eastern Junior Hockey League? <sighs> How much time do you have? Um, so when I, was, uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was playing juniors in Iowa in the North American Hockey League, and I got gas for my team because I got shit kicked by it. And the coach of the other team was John Cooper. Yeah, wow. Okay. You know, Tampa Bay's coach now. Oh, yeah. Um, so I got gas from that team, came back home, tail between my legs, and I was, like, emailing people. And I found this league, Eastern Junior League, which is, like, tier A, double, you know, junior hockey. Found a team in 
you know, CD selects in New York that needed a goalie. And uh, my parents let me go and, you know, went there and, you know, crushed it. I got, I got drafted from that team and I got a college scholarship from that team. Were there other people in the league that got drafted? One other person. You have a history of that going to odd leagues. So you pick that, which, you know, the the two things that stand out. I have a a history of like overachieving in weird situations. (laughs) Ah, that's, you know what? That is a poetic way to articulate it. Uh, So I guess I'll just stick on this path. So, you, you get drafted out of there. So you must have been, this isn't a surprise. I'm guessing a goalie that's mobile, you know, that's got good agility, that's mobile, that's your size. Did you see that you might get drafted or because you were playing the EGHL go, or EGHL going, there's no. Well, fun. let's let's say in October, I thought I was never going to play hockey again. And then by the draft time, I was like, well, what round am I going to go in? Ah, okay. So it was an ascent. And yeah. um, did you, before we go any further, up to this point, was there any goalie that you were trying to emulate? Were, were you looking at, at, at one particular style or, or what did one guy? Not really. I always loved Ed Belfour because he had kind of an aggressive way that he played. Um, but obviously, like as the styles change over the years, like you don't want to emulate what he was doing. It wouldn't work in modern times now. Like me, but, like in Gretzky growing up, you like, yeah, okay. like, but he was like my guy who I love to watch, but like that wouldn't work with. And then obviously it evolved as I moved up and moved on, you know, but I mean, once I got up there, I mean, we'll circle back to this, but like, I would say I'm like a mix between Pecorine and Ben Bishop. Cause you have to like play to your size, but I was like reactive, like Rene Bishop was more of a blocker and I was like right in the middle like that's yeah. how I, like describe my goaltending. Honestly, I the reactive part I really like because when you and well Corey Crawford is reactive, right? Yeah. Uh, I liked watching Dominic Hasek. He was just so so insane, dude. I love watching him play. I, you know, I, I hit the post on a breakaway on him, and I and I, I, I one of my only regular season games that I got a chance to actually play, and they put me with Mark Recchi and You're in the uh, post. Vincent Damfus, yeah, and I and I waited too long. I was mesmerized. I was fucking mesmerized, and uh, I, I waited too long. And the, the the D caught me and hit my, and then I shot it out of panic, and hit the post, and it's a, an outside of the post too. But I didn't even. I anyway, anyway I, I, it's like Mr. Destiny. I look back at that particular fucking moment. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. As a Canadian, I know I'll always be throwing money down on the Blue Jays. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, so from there, you're in Capital District. Um, you get drafted. 
Now, what's the process? How did Maine, did Maine already come calling or did you, you know, did, did Phoenix, like usually you get drafted after that process. So what's the process when you get drafted and you don't, you haven't been to university yet? Yeah, I kind of had a unique experience because I was like a nobody. And then all of a sudden I was somebody getting recruited by every school in the country. And uh, my first visit was RPI, um, Rensselaer Polytech Institute. Um, great visit, great people. Um, my second visit was Maine. And Maine at the time was like, you know, the best hockey school in the country and known for developing goaltenders, you know, Jimmy Howard, Ben Bishop, yeah. you name it. There was like a list of like the seven prior goaltenders that all played in the NHL at least one game before I went there. And so I committed right away. Um, but yeah, it happened very fast. So like I happened over like two months and committed to Maine. And then, you know, a month, two months later, I got drafted by Arizona and yeah, the senior year of high school was a wild ride. I'll tell you that for free. Wow. I mean, um, and shout out as long as we're talking main goalies. I played with a guy in Boise, Idaho, listens to the show, Blair Allison, and he was a goalie there as well. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, way back. Great, great yeah. fella. I think he might still live there. Um, okay. So you go through, I mean, we could go all day talking about the ups and downs. You go to Maine, you go a couple of years, and you're, you're, you're fitting in pretty well. And then you go from there to the Southern Pro League, five more years before the NHL. So how did, like, what was the process there? I've never seen that path in my life. Well, thank you, Terry. I'm the only one who's ever done it. <laughs> I thought um, so. <laughs> the, two, the two things that stand out are SPHL and EJHL. And yeah. even if you took those out of the equation, it's still an odd path. But those two things I've never seen come up, especially where they did on Hockey Dude, DB. I, you, you can give, I'm like fucking MacGyver, man. You give me, yeah. I can make it work with anything. And so when I went to college, I was a shithead, man. I was 20, 21. And I, you know, got lost in the booze and I was like, you know, not performing for my team. Like I, I just wasn't there. I was going through some personal stuff with like my family and everything. And I kind of got lost in it. And like, I got kicked out of Maine. I did. Um, and two so solid years though, right? You, you played two full years there and then get kicked. Yeah, out. I started for two years. I didn't play well. I had eight ninety five save percentage both years. Like, so I played like average at best basically. Um, but I was getting into trouble and like, you know, drinking too much. And so, I got the boot and then I took one more year. I went to Louisiana's. Well, I actually went to Arizona, the Coyotes, and they were like, get the fuck out of here. And they sent me to their, their East Coast League team, which is in Las Vegas at the time. Oh, great. They sent a 21 year old with a drinking problem <laughs> to the fucking Las Vegas. Oh, boy. That would and unravel I, if you didn't have a drinking problem. Like if you were just 21. I joke to this day, this this was like 12 years ago. Thank God the Coyotes didn't sign me because like if I had any money, I would have never left Vegas, but I just ran out of money. So I got cut from the Wranglers and then that's how I ended up in the SP. Wow. And I went down and played in the SP in Louisiana for a year. Did you contact them or did you have a buddy down there? I had a buddy who was playing for the team and... And so after that season, when I was 21, I, I I gave my head a shake and I was like, hey, do you want to do this or do you not want to do this? You know, like I got like serious. And after my first year in the SP, I was like, all right, fuck it, let's go. 
And then I just like started my climb and like stopped messing around, stopped drinking, stopped doing anything. And it's like year by year, I went literally year by year through the four stages. Like I saw that SP, ECHL, AHL, NHL. Wow, that's incredible. And so, but I guess that that's incredible confidence as well because you're not going to you're not going to be focused and stay on the right path mentally and physically unless you've got confidence in yourself to do it. But of course, you'd been drafted. The, the team that it wasn't like you just were trying your hardest and couldn't keep up. In your head, you knew that you oh, could. I fucked it up like I did. Yeah. Like I, I, I knew that I was good enough to get yeah. there. I just needed the the breaks, the chances, the you know, you know. The confidence of people to like understand that I'm serious, like not some like fuck up who got kicked out of Maine. And so I had to prove myself along the way, but I was like, man, like narrow, like literally horse blinders, like, here we go, like, let's fucking go. And my agent, I can't believe I still pay him because I would call him every night. If any, I would follow all the box scores from every league. If any goalie got hurt, I'd be like, hey, can you call the Reading Royals? Hey, can you call, you know, like, Somebody didn't finish the game, like check if that goalie got hurt. Like I did his work for him, yet I have to pay him to this day. You so. were fucking super determined. Okay, oh, yeah. that's wild. And what an every agent would love to have clients like yourself. Um, okay, so of that, now obviously getting to the NHL is the hardest, but in the process, what was the most difficult? Like it could have been a contract that you get in, you know what I mean? You could be as good as you want. I'll tell you, when I played in Fredericton, our three goalies were... Jose Theodore, Jose Theodore, Matthew Garon, and Thomas Vokun. And Vokun, yeah. for a big part, was in the coast. Again, that's contracts. That's heaven. And yeah, we had Jocelyn Thibault and Pat Jablonski up top, which was funny because the, the best two, or the sorry, the, the, I don't want to say the weakest, but if you look at a depth chart years later, Jablonski and Thibault would be at the bottom of that list. And they were in the NHL. That's what I mean. Did contracts come in? Did injuries make it? Well, all of a sudden, you get a big break. What was the hardest part of that, getting out of Watt League and getting into Watt League? All right, so I had two – I'll tell you two stories. So um, my my biggest thing was um, in 2013, Pecorine had a hip injury. I was on a two-way contract between Milwaukee and the AHL, Cincinnati and the East Coast League. So he got hurt, so everybody got bumped up. And I ended up having – I was the top goal in the league in the AHL that year. Um, you know, did that. And then at the end of the season, like Milwaukee offered me, all they offered me was like a one-way AHL contract afterwards. I was the best goal in A. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my chances. And I waited and I got offers from every team in the NHL. Ended up signing with Chicago. Was, was any of that your, your heart being biased? Well, it's like, I knew I deserved better. Like, I'm not going to take a $50,000 offer from an AHL team when I'm the best goal in the AHL. No, no. I agree with that. I'm saying Chicago. You had more than oh, one. Was no, the Chicago your right. heart? And you? Yeah, you're right. Because I had the same offers from like Boston, San Jose, yeah. like everybody. But I was like, when Chicago offered me, I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'll do it for a penny. Because yeah. I, I love the Hawks. I still do this day. Like I'm a diehard Blackhawks fan. Favorite team ever. They, you know, it was my whole childhood. And so once they offered me, I was like, sign it. That's it. Let's go. And you know, I was lucky enough to sign with them. 
And then, um, you know, my, my big break was, um, no pun intended, um, Corey Crawford broke his ankle yeah. um, in October in 2014. And that's why I got called up. And he was at a Rise Against concert and, you know, broke his ankle. And, and so, huh? What's incredible about it? Well, first, I mean, I, I, before I ask you this next question, I can't ask someone from Chicago that walks in after the road you've been on. Your first day, you're walking into the dressing room. I mean, you're, you're a Blackhawks fan knowing that just within, you know, a couple of dozen months ago, you know, you're you're in the East Coast League, and just a few years ago, you're in the Southern Pro League, and at one point, you're in the EJHL. Like you must have been walking through that room, going, "What the fuck?" It was it almost religious. Like, how did that feel, dude? I was mute. Like I was mute for the first like six months I was on the team because like my family, 2010, 2013, like they were at the parades. Like, like we are Hawks fans, and like as I previously mentioned, like I'm the only person from Chicago who's ever won a, a championship with any Chicago sports team. My God, no one this, else in any sport. And so, like, like <laughs> it makes me like, want to cry. It makes it makes me. I have goosebumps now. I, I, I can't even believe what I'm hearing. Um, Take a deep breath. Um, my mom and I watched 2013 together, <laughs> like, at her house, like, you know. No way. No yeah. way. You're watching. Oh, my God. Yeah, because you're not in the NHL in 2013. Holy I'm in the fuck. fucking keys, man. I'm in the coast. And that's their <laughs> second one. And you're going, and they've already got two. So my mom and I were watching it, like, in her living room. <laughs> and then 2015, I got to bring him on the bus, like, do the whole thing, you know. <laughs> like. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I mean. Again, I want to know so much, but again, so you're, you're playing, you get up. It's not, it's not two games. You didn't just, it wasn't a one-off. You play 14 games and you have a mesmerizing nine, three, six. You're in the NHL. Were you just riding adrenaline or like, are, 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 and, and are you dealing with the, the harder shots better? Like, I don't know, man, a goalie. I would, I would think that's a huge transition, but you handled it. Or were you just like, this is my hometown and this is my opportunity and you were in the zone? I always say, I always say like the, the higher you go up league by league, the easier it is to play goalie. Uh, it's harder to get a chance like to go up, but you know, like you're in the East Coast League, like people are scattering. Everyone's trying to go up. So the forwards are just like worried about getting points, their stat line. No one cares about defense or like goaltending. And so, you know, it's hard to play there. AHL gets a little bit better, but NHL, it's like, Everyone knows what they're doing. I mean, you played, so it's like, you know what's going on. Everyone's doing their job. So, uh, I mean, obviously I was terrified, but did you see the lineup of the team that I was on? Yeah. Like, it's I, I was in a fucking hammock between the pipes. I, I I hung it up before the game. I just laid there, did nothing with Duncan Keith and Nicholas Jalmerson blocking every shot for me. He had more saves than I did. That's Fucking wildly. <laughs> Still, man, you fucking played unreal. And, but you know, I never thought that from a goalie's from a player's. Yeah. Like I, what I found, I found it harder to stand out, easier to fit in because everybody's in position. If I just play my wing, I, I can probably play a game that I'm, you know what I mean? You're not going to remember much about it, but I'm certainly not going to do you any wrong. I'm going to be solid. 
Whereas, yeah, in the, in, in the minors especially, I found the East Coast League the worst. You get down so low, because I played in the Atlantic Coast League, which is just a fucking spinoff of the Southern Pro. I know that and one. It gets so bad that it's all, and again, fuck people. I got friends from down there. When I say so bad, I mean, you know, scrambly, right? It's obviously well, the lowest. Yeah, everyone's working out for themselves. Like, yes. And so, like, once you hit the ceiling, the NHL, yeah, everyone's on the same page. There's nowhere to go. So it's like everyone does their yeah. job. It, it's like you get caught in this wheel. You're a cog in the wheel. And I remember going, oh, I'm a part of this machine. Like, I got to start going this way. And then, you know, just feeling that. But as a goalie, I would have thought, not knowing anything about the position, I, I, I would have thought maybe it was just with the harder and the better shooters. But I, I guess. But as as you go up. So here's here's the the real details of this. As you go up, the players are better, right? And so they shoot the puck where they where they want to shoot the puck. Yeah. Okay. So like you know, they're trying to shoot somewhere, and they're they're getting it accomplished. The lower you go down, these guys, you don't know where it's fucking going. Like Fuck yeah. it's all over the place. But so like NHL players, like Steven Samkos, I can tell a half a second before he shoots by the position of his stick. I know where he wants to shoot it. I, and he's going to shoot it there. Like it's just, you get there first. Mostly it's fucking like a firework. Like who knows what's going on. Um, but in the show, it's like, all right, Steven's trying to go top fucking right. Like, Incredible. You know. <laughs> I, I, and yeah. That's wild. And now I, I, I can't ask you something so generic. What it's, what's it like to raise the cup over your head? That would be every emotion that ever, I mean, I would think uh, I, I, I would be, I don't remember, man. Yeah. Like, the euphoria, the adrenaline was like, I don't remember. It was, I got pictures, but I mean, obviously it was like the, the peak of my existence, um, when the cop in Chicago in front of my family and stuff, like it was, I, I'll never forget that. Like when Kaner scored the second goal with like a minute and a half left and we all knew we were going to one like win. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I'm, I went like full, like my brain turned you know off. what i can't imagine looking next to me at somebody on my team and saying we're, we're about to win the stanley Cup. i can't imagine that it would be overwhelming enough that's when i would lose it when i would look in somebody's eyes that just did because i mean yeah we all did you know like, when you see videos you start jumping around like we all knew we were gonna win yeah and i was like what do we do now because like we didn't plan on it like we were trying to stay in the moment like because it was only game six you know yeah. So we, but Kaner scored and we were like, fuck, this is like, we got it. You know, fucking Stanley cup playoffs, such a grind. I say, can, oh can you God. imagine any and other the Anaheim series? The Anaheim series took probably 12 years off my life. Oh, yeah, man. Cause we were down, we were down three to two and we came back and won. And, you know, we had goals taken back and all this stuff. And like, Oh my God. Like, and like, I was more stressed on the bench than I was in the net. Cause I played the first round and then Corey took the net back and like, he did great. I mean, he's the best, most underrated goalie ever, but I was more stressed on the bench than I was when I was playing. I can't. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, if you don't mind me asking, where did, where did you take the cup on your day? My day I did like, uh, took it to my family's house and then, uh, did like a family like cookout, whatever. And I'm from Chicago, right? From so I got it Chicago. I, <laughs> I got the cup first before it left the city. So, um, oh, my. I, my my hometown had a parade for me. Did that, and then I, you know, the Sears Tower. It's like the 
you know, yeah. call it building here. So I like, they let me rent out the, you know, top floor. And so I had a party for like hockey friends and coaches and stuff. Everybody who helped me along the way at night did that That's for you. And then fucking chuck that thing away at midnight. So do you wear the ring? Never. You just got it. I'm guessing locked up somewhere. And please don't tell me. It's, it's in a vault. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like you can't uh, wear your Stanley cup ring until you get your like pension. So maybe when I'm 62, I'll put it on. Well, Hey, it's there. You got the option to put on a Stanley cup ring, which is more than most people can. I only wear it for like charity events. Like I'll wear it for a charity, event, but that's about it. Um, Hey, to each their own, you do what the fuck you want with it. Um, so now, um, on that note, and by the way, have you ever been to the hockey hall of fame? Yeah. Okay. You've been so we're, I mean, we're the Stanley cup Norman because I, I saw it there more than anything. And then every year as part of me, Alex Newhook this year as a player that you, you strive to get there. Like I know what it feels like to make the NHL, but I can't, it's one thing I cannot imagine. Like there's so many, and I, and I like the fact that it's so elusive not every player gets to do it. You you grow up. I was a fucking superstar growing up, and some of my dream came true. And putting on the Habs jersey, I, I melt. I cry now when I think about it. But I cannot imagine, honestly, lifting that cup in my hometown after the, the, the everything else with your story is crazy enough. Just to lift the cup as a as a a, a badge of human sacrifice, focus, and reward. Let alone being from that city. So uh, just all the love to you. You're one of the best champions and most, uh, what's the word? You're giving, you're unselfish and you're honest. And honestly, I, I couldn't think of a more deserving person. Uh, so sorry, I'm almost crying myself here, but I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe you did it. So well, yeah, that's the cool thing, right? Because they take the rungs off every 10 years. So I think I have 44 years left on the cup and then it gets put in the hall of fame. Man, that's just wild. Um, and if I live that long, uh, my bastard children will be able to go see it in fucking Toronto. Right before. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. But right before we move on, um, and do rapid fire randoms, I want to ask you one question that is removed from the NHL completely. But I played a game, an exhibition game in this place, and I loved it. And I wonder if they still have the arena. Innsbruck. You played in Innsbruck, Austria. And I remember the... Innsbruck? I played, well, when I played for the, in the coast, I played 12 games in the coast. And my ankle ended up just giving out. So that's why I retired. But Felix Pizzito and Cuba Gooding Jr. owned our team. And they took us to Europe for camp. (laughs) They Honestly, they said, they said, come in in September. And we were like, what? The coast doesn't start till late October. We got, you said, oh, we're going to go from skates. We're going to start paying you guys. We're like, hey, why not? I didn't know anything, man. We drove down there. I drove my Dodge Durango trying to rehab my ankle. <laughs> and they said, we're going to Europe. And we went over and we played like a full month. We played teams in Italy and Austria. And the nicest place that I ever How put on my skates. It? I, it's just, it's. Dude, I love living there. Yeah, I'm, I can't imagine. Man, those, I'm a mountain guy, I'm not a beach guy. I hate sand. Hey, sharks. I used to just like practice and go up to the top of the mountain every day, launch and watch kids fall skiing. Like that's all I did for fucking. Man, I, I just so fucking beautiful. There. And the rink, the, the, the one end of the rink was just open, right? Like it was daylight. coming. They had, they had the one outside and then they had the two inside. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just absolutely. They hosted the Olympics there twice, and so it's a beautiful like. God, that was such a majestic place. Like, yeah, I like that. That's what killed me. That was I had to sign my retirement papers, and I realized, you know, I, I, I the, my NHL kind of dream went sideways. But I thought I had enough in my ankle to at least do that and get over there and play. And when I saw all that, it was so bittersweet, man, because I was like, I wanted to play over there another 10 years. It might have got better three years later, but I'd moved on. You know, I still you see know, it. My, my, uh, my, one of my great Danes actually made more than most guys on my team. What's that? It was in my contract that they had to fly my dog over with me. <laughs> and it cost $8,000 each way. <laughs> for him, so he made more than the the, the Austrian players. That is fucking so made, great. Oh, Moose made sixteen G's. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is fucking great. Congrats, yeah. Moose. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago, I guess. Right, Moose is the dog yeah. I just saw two years ago. Yeah, Moose is the black one. He was uh, yeah, he made he had a nice little pro career. <laughs> wow, that's fucking wild. Um, okay, on to are you ready for uh, last part? All of you. Uh, in and out of here within 15 minutes. We're going to do rapid fire randoms. Are you ready? Hit me. Okay. Someone just shaved your beard and you woke up. You 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 sleep with a shiv because you're nervous anyway. And you wake up and you jab them in the fucking neck and they're dead. Now you're going to jail and you're in Texas. So you're going on death row. What do you eat for your last meal? The body. So I don't get arrested. What's that? I said I need the body so I don't get arrested. You'd eat the body. Yeah. No, no. I mean, what do you eat as your death row meal? Death row meal? Um, Panda Express. You're on death row. So you're, it's your last. Orange really? chicken, low main. Panda Express. I like how you went right to the body. And then immediately, <laughs> immediately yeah. death row meal. You didn't think about that. Well, you know, I would have to think about five different things. And I've asked a question. Done deal. Wow. What is the best pie? Is this PG or? Well, I mean, okay, I'll take it. All right, all right, all right. Well, no, it doesn't. No, it's it's anything. No, no, I'll go peach cobbler. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about like the female anatomy, but yeah, I know. I figured. <laughs> no, I kind of should maybe take that question out. Um, <laughs> some of these I ask everybody. Some I don't. I just do them the night before after a nice gummy or two. Uh, oh, you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you've been there. Uh, okay, what would the what would be your superpower if you could pick one? I'd be a jumper. Like, have you seen the movie Jumper, where you just like go wherever you want in the world? Yeah, like, I would. That would be my superpower. You know, so if this years. was Family Feud at this point, I've, I've done this for probably seventy episodes of the hundred ten, and that's the first time anybody ever said that. Usually, it's flying or invisibility. What's your? I I hate to, if I was to give you honest, I probably said would have said one of the two. So I love how you thought outside of the box, right? I don't know. I, I wouldn't oh, have thought a jumper, right. time traveler, maybe. But again, I know what I would have said. I would have said flying. Yeah. And I hate. I, I just would have said that. But I, I prefer jump jumper. I just wouldn't have thought of it. Okay. You got to pick a DJ name here. Okay, so you don't have a choice. You get your work. Well, no, I mean, the, 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 oh, give me, give me, give I'm me. giving you a choice. You don't have a choice in that. You got to take this job. Okay. Everything right. went, everything went sideways again. And 
yeah, you're just you, now you're now you're at the bottom of the peaks and valleys with you. You're at the bottom and they say, OK, we're going to give you good money to run this club. You got to pick one of these names. DJ Dork. Cockfest Killer. Pork City. Or the pill. I'm the pill for sure. I think the pill, too. Who's your favorite athlete outside of hockey? Favorite athlete? Um, uh, Mendy. I'm a big soccer fan. So Mendy, the goalie for Chelsea, um, he's probably my favorite um, athlete. Interesting. Pick one NHLer. So there's, there's a bag of money. And let's say it's $3 million, $3.6 million is just sitting there. It's in Buffalo. When we get there, all you got to do is pick one NHLer to sink four out of three, a four out of 10, three point shots. Wait, wait, like basketball, like basketball. Are you getting racist on me? No, I mean, you could, you, I mean, you know, that's a very Wayne Simmons. I know that Wayne Simmons and PK Subban have played basketball because they've been asked that question. So maybe I'm going Wayne Simmons. That's my bet. I mean, you know, I, I, because they've been asked the question, I would pick either one of them or Zdeno Chara just because of math. But you said they have to sink them, not slam dunk. I can they have slam. to sink them, yes. Yeah. So I know those guys play basketball because they talked that, about it. That, I, know. I put my fucking mortgage down on him. Really? Okay. I've seen um, him doing it. Like when It's a on- great fucking answer. It's just, you know, not politically correct, but it should know, be politically correct. Because he's good at basketball. I don't care about being PC. It's just like, I love it. Right? like, I'm on I campus. I don't give a shit. I'm fucking, like, like I'm When can you just say, like, a, you know, the NBA, like, has a lot of black players. A lot of black players are good at that sport. In Canada, a lot of white players because that's just the way it evolved. Yeah, and man, this guy's better than him at hockey, but like yeah. better at basketball. For and sure. we just got, you know, Mike Greer, the first black GM. I hope there's many, many more where that comes from. It's just sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you know, things feel like you shouldn't say them when they're perfectly okay. I know, but the 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 bridge is being gapped where like this PC culture is like ending, and I love it. Yeah, because I, like we talked about the comedy thing. Like now, it's like. I, I'm getting away with like more stuff. And like, I don't mean anything like intentionally, like jokes are jokes. And the culture is kind of changing, get away from the PC culture for stuff. Like we just talked about, like no one gives a fuck. Dude, we're in the age of offense. We're comedians, we're comedians. And I love, I respect comedians that can play both sides of the fence, like, like Bill Burr. And when these people yeah. don't go to college fucking campuses anymore because people get offended and, and and woke and, and I find it really sad. It's a fucking comedian, and some of them are brilliant at explaining both sides of the fence. And sometimes you don't have to be far right or far left. Far left, as is most of the population. It's just a commentary on life. And well, people get up there and they got to be given the fucking cold shoulder. I find it absolutely it, it's it sad. The horse blinders that some people live in, like it's like you can take it or leave it. Like you're in a comedy show, or like you you don't have to agree but you don't have to shoot up the place afterwards. Like it's like people have their own opinions. The first right amendment in the U S like, I'm not saying everyone has the right thing, but it's like, dude, it's like jokes are jokes. Like fucking jokes. I make, are jokes. It should be like, a safe I you, place. I make fun of fucking cancer drowning. Like, all, but like, I'm just joking. Like I know it should be a safe I'm place. Sad. I'm sad. My dad drowned. I, I, I wish my mom didn't have cancer twice. Like, I, I wish I didn't have to go through a divorce, but like, I'm just fucking joking. And like Bill Burr, who's a great like example of like, 
talking about shitty stuff. Like, it's like, if you don't want it, don't watch it. Fucking leave it there. Like, yeah, but leave it there. Why, yeah. why does, why does Twitter and, and fucking every media outlet have to know? And why do you have to cancel people from showing up? Like, uh, you know, right. like you said, if you, if you, if you don't like it don't, and the big thing is like what you just said, a lot of comedy comes out of tragedy. I'm the same way. I'm up there joking about, you know, embarrassing myself on a world level because that's how I deal with it. You're up there joking about cancer. So in effect, we're doing the exact opposite, but it is life. And, you know, I find every no matter what comedian it is, it's a commentary on life one way or another. And in those particular situations, I'm talking exactly the opposite of how it made me feel at first. But don't fucking judge me on it. You know, I just find I, I find not only is it annoying, it used to be annoying. Now I find it dangerous. Uh, yeah, but moving on. I also I got heckled for the first time the other day, and every punchline I did, I couldn't see. You know how it is. Like there's the lights, so you can't see like out in the crowd. Every punchline I just heard boo from this girl. Every punchline boo. Really? Yeah. First time I got heckled, and I I literally I just fucking gave in, and I was like, I was like, God, I love this booer back here, and then I said. I fucking I, like Jesus Christ put the push put this thought in my brain at this moment. Oh, I, I said wait, wait, wait. I was like I can't see you back there, but you sound and look probably look like one of the dogs that Michael Vick drowned. No, and- that's what that's what came into your mind. Yeah. That's what came in because I saw a joke about drowning, my dad drowning, so it kind of like played into it, and it came into my mind. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be good," and fucking just roasted this shit. <laughs> Did it go over? Huh? Did it go over well? Oh my god, the place that couldn't be up. that couldn't be a better example of what I'm talking about. Clearly, that you know what I mean. Like, no, clearly, she doesn't up. look like it. Ninety nine percent of the people you're like you're paying to come to a comedy show. It's like yeah. You're going to hear like controversial shit. It's like, if you don't want to hear that, if you're that sensitive, you live on Facebook. It's like, stay on Facebook. Don't come. I totally agree, man. And sometimes you're up there and it's wordplay. It just makes sense um, for the, for the situation. Okay. You're going on a trip to Mars. Okay. And you have you and two other people can join, but it has to be two of these four. Pete Pete Davidson, Russell Crowe, Rob Zombie, or Cardi B, two of the four. Say, I would say, obviously, Cardi B is coming, um, but I can't bring Pete Davidson because he just smashes all the hottest girls in fucking Hollywood. Yeah, she's gone. You're not going to be a hitman on her. I, I think I go Rob Zombie and Cardi B. Good picks. It's uh, as good as any. Best cartoon ever. Um, Best cartoon, South Park. It's 1998. You're nine years old. What's your favorite subject? In school? Yeah. Social studies. $250 million now, $250 million at Christmas, and $250 million on this date next year. $750 million total, plus a $2 million signing bonus. So $752 million. All you have to do is trade faces with Ted, with Ken Hitchcock. 100%. But not that he's a bad looking guy. No, I would absolutely do that. Basically, you're set for life, but you just yeah. got a different face. Yeah, I would 100%. Your favorite. You happiness, dude. Hey, I mean, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> it would be hard to get used ugly, to. Man. 
yeah, you keep your body and everything. You know, you're, uh, yeah, I guess, fine. You got you got the beard going. You could do that again. I mean, you who imagine, am I to say? Like, if you had my body, you'd be pulling. Yeah, you, your body, you get to keep it. You don't have to go. <laughs> I know, but can like, you imagine if you had my body, your face? Oh, boy. Can you imagine <laughs> that if we could combine? Like, and then what the leftover wouldn't be too bad, but my, yeah, your body with my face would be, rolling. be like a fucking transformer. Like. I wouldn't get down George Street, my friend. <laughs> it would be fantastic. It'd be a good plot for a movie. You know, that kid wakes up and he's like a great pitcher all of a sudden or something. Yeah, yeah face off. We go two. piss in a fountain together and then all of a sudden we've traded and maybe <laughs> your maybe your glove hand and I just all of a sudden become a wicked shortstop. <laughs> Yeah, you're the three or four body part change. Uh, change one hockey rule. One hockey rule. Um, I'd give her the trapezoid for goalies. Interesting from a goalie. One change one baseball rule. Make it four innings. Four? Yeah. Because like we just go there to eat hot dogs. Like we don't want to stay for nine innings. Yeah, I, I think there's. I think if they could do it all over again, I think they would have picked seven. Nine is long. Yeah, it is. But they're never going to go to it now. But it would yeah. be. Nor would I want them to. But you know, for the sake of everybody involved, including the fans, your favorite movie quote, or do you have one? Favorite movie quote? Yeah. Oh wow. Um... I don't know if you knew this. I'm a huge movie fan. Like I have like movie tattoos like on me and stuff. Um, God damn. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to give you an answer. I have too many. Um, well, that that's not bad then. Give me one. I mean, fuck, that is, that's kind of hard on the spot unless you see all your movies. I mean, Fuck, I wouldn't even know what mine is. Mine, I, I'm going to go with something stupid. See, mine's like sick, like, because my favorite, like, movie series, like the Hannibal series, like the, you know, Hannibal. Lecter. Yeah, of course. I've seen so, them. I, I, my favorite quote would be watch, which, like, no one would get. It's so out of context. It's, it's from Red Dragon, like. When his brain is off? When he's got it at the top of his head? Red Dragon's, like, the prequel to Hannibal. It's my favorite movie. But. Okay, so I haven't seen Red Dragon, so you think I should? 100%, dude. It's, it's my favorite movie ever. And what year did it come out? Probably like 2009, maybe. Okay, for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't think I saw that one. I will. Yeah, well, I or In Bruges, which is another one people don't know about. Love that. I what saw that one. Farrell? Colin Farrell. Yeah, that one's really good. I do dig deep. I just, uh, for whatever reason, I missed Red Dragon. I know of it and it just escaped me. In Bruges, yeah. I really, really like. It was a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. Um, as was The Lobster. Check that out with Colin. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't think yeah, yeah, you have yeah. any idea what I was talking about. Nobody, nobody knows about that movie either. Uh, that's a great movie. Well, you know what? We're going to save. We're going to have a good movie. Two of those. I know that you know your movies. We'll have a good. We'll have grab we'll RA. Podcast and just talk about movies. All yeah, we'll grab. All, actually, that's not a bad idea. But we'll grab <laughs> RA in Buffalo and have a drink on a patio. before. <laughs> I just talked to the boys. We're going in on Wednesday. Uh, does pineapple belong on a pizza? No. On Sundays for the rest of your life, you have to make an animal noise. You, you don't want to, but you have to make an animal noise. So we'll pick. Which animal on every Sunday? I'm going, I'm going goat. Goat. Oh. Good. And for, yeah, I mean, you got to, I can't think of anything 
worse or better, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, you would make people laugh. You would see people smiling. They'd be going, what's going on? Because, yeah, it's a goat. So yeah. every time you cross a crosswalk for the rest of your life, which isn't too often, you might go days and weeks without it, but sometimes you'll cross one five times in a day. So you're going to cross let's just say hundreds, if not over a thousand crosswalks the rest of your life. Each time a song plays just while you're crossing the crosswalk, but it blasts really loud. Everybody around you can hear it. What song would it be? Can't be saved. Senses fail. Well, that, that was immediate as well, but I, I couldn't even get the question out. What, what was it again? Can't be saved by senses fail. Wow. In, unbelievable. So is this a close song to your heart for some reason? Oh, dude, I'm like a diehard, like, emo screamo rock guy um that's like my favorite song that one and then you could do uh no rain by blind melon that'd be Love a good one. blind melon shannon Na moon was oh, it that's more your era um yeah i hey dude i used to see the well i'd be lying if i said i saw blind melon but i saw nirvana i saw pearl jam because there was happening i was tri city brought me out at 14 right yeah yeah the, the grunge pearl, movement yeah, was happening i fucking love pearl jam but I'd say either No Rain by Blind Melon or Can't Be Saved by Census Fails. Like, I would listen to that the rest of my life. Like, no problem. I'm going to check out uh, Can't Be Saved. I didn't realize that. And I love grunge. And the, you just said yeah, that. I grew up in the Seattle. You know? I, I need to be opened up. You need to sh get shoot me a few playlists because I love discovering new music. I listen to a lot. Huge collection, not a big. I do have a grunge alternative collection, but not what you're talking. Not the emo. So the last question, my friend. Yeah. All time team. You three forwards, two D and a goalie, except you can't pick Gretzky, Lemieux, Gordie Howe, Bobby Orr, or any Montreal Canadians. Okay. So now the Blackhawks. Like like yeah, I'm saying that you're going to put this, it's a computer simulation. Everybody's in their prime. I'm on one side, you're on the other. You got to beat me. There's $5 billion on the table if you win. Hey, David. Um, Lemieux. All right. And net, we're going to put Dominic Hasek. On D, we're going to Duncan Keith and... All right, so I got one more forward and one more D. Um, I'm going to go Keith and Jalmerson because, like, they honestly are. Yeah. So that's D. I got one more forward. I might go Yager because, like, he plays, he plays yep. so well with Lemieux. So I'm going to go McDavid, Lemieux, Yager, Keith, Jalmerson, and Hasek and that. Okay, Scotty, darling, thanks a lot for being on Tales with Tia. This has been unbelievable. Great all-time team. Good luck with everything you do. See you in Buffalo, New York. See you there, Kick baby. Ass tonight. <laughs> Kick ass tonight. I know you're going on stage again. Yeah. Okay, brother. Thanks. All right, buddy. I'll see yeah. you. And there you have it, folks. Scotty Darling. What a guy. What a genuine guy. His story is... Um, wow, it says... Intriguing and, and interesting as it is unique... It's it, and, and rewarding for the listener, not only for him as someone who lived it. Imagine being the only athlete born in Chicago to raise a major championship trophy 
in that city, you, you would almost, and it's one of the biggest cities in North America, you would, by extension, I guess, the world. Um, you would think, right? And I mean, lots of people play basketball, baseball, hockey, and football, and nobody on any of those winning teams was from Chicago. That's wild. It's also a story about Oh, man, I don't know. There's so many themes. Jesus, you could take a unit, you could write a fucking thesis on his career. But, uh, you know, he might joke about it. I, 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 in my mind, they often use the term dumb like a fox. You know, like, I don't think he ever was, I mean, he, he found himself down and out, but he always knew that he, he didn't let the, he didn't let the, you know, the um, metaphorical, leash get too long he didn't he didn't take his eyes off the prize as long as you might think i know the southern pro league i know the ej ejhl i joked about i know that he had some tragedy in his life and that all played a part in who he is and when he was feeling the lowest or he was raising that Stanley Cup, I really don't get a sense that he lost a true sense of self. And that's to be respected. Huge. Even when he told the story about Maine and, you know, getting kicked. A lot of people think about it. Think of everybody you know that played pro hockey or tells a story about going away and doing something. It could be computer programming. But if they didn't get the top prize, they often act like they got right. The system fucked me over. It was a bad coach or this happened. I got a bad beat. You've heard me say that, right? Not often. He was very, very honest. Yeah, I was average in Maine. I mean, I looked at that time too. I think it was a little bit above average, but especially with Arizona looking at him and the potential that he had, but he's like, no, I fucked it up, man. I, I wasn't doing as well as I could have. I, I wasn't in great habits off the ice, my mindset. And I fucked up my own career. It was all me. I was the reason I was in the SPHL. And even this many years later, that's not an easy thing to admit. And a lot of people wouldn't admit it. They have too much pride. But it speaks a lot about the kind of person and kind of athlete he is. He's focused. He's determined. When he was in those leagues, he knew that it was a result of his own doing. Whereby he could have been doing better. Not only did he deserve to be there. But he also knew that he had great ability that no one really knew about. The odd person, but no one really believed in. Let's say they knew about it, but they didn't believe in it. So once again, I don't know what you want to say. Redemption, focus, determination, um, pride, humility, uh, leadership, all, all of the above. There's so many themes there. Uh, it would be a, an easy thesis, like I said, or English paper or something, you know, it, or, or, or character study, you know, Scott Darling. Uh, when, when people don't bullshit a lot, it's easier to pick up on their positive attributes. And uh, the last thing I'll say is that I've known him a short time, but I know that we'll be buddies. And is yet, yet another person I came across that's uh, just genuinely unique and positive and optimistic and vibrant, even though a lot of bad shit's happened to him, even though, you know, a lot of people, I consider myself the same. Sometimes I find myself very cynical and pessimistic and I get down and 
but generally, generally, I think I'm a pretty positive person. And when people around me are people like Scott Darling, I tend to be more positive. And uh, what a weekend we had, man, me, Scott Darling, Taran Sam with my favorite people and uh, a bunch of my buddies and hockey players that came into town. And like I said, it was just fantastic because, uh, you know, people say, you know, a lot of your friends, you know, your friends say a lot about you. Well, I'm proud of my friends and uh, not a day goes by that I don't appreciate people like Scotty and, and my core group of friends. Uh, Trans Samwith is one of them. Um, I could go on and on, but I think it's big, man. Friends and family are big. And to me, my best friends are as important as my bloodline, really. And uh, like I said, I'm not saying Scotty's one of them, but he's someone that I've known for half a year now, and I know I'll know him the rest of my life. Folks, thanks for listening. Wedgwood Cafe at the end of Elizabeth Avenue. Drop in, have yourself a bite to eat. It's an awesome spot. They also do catering. Penny Posh Designs, women's wear reimagined and true hockey. Take what's yours. See you all in a few days. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Scotty the Animal Darling for just a fantastic career and uh, sharing it with us. Congrats. Thank you. And see you all again soon. Have yourselves a fucking wicked weekend.